It's Thursday, June 4th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 546 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 51 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. I'm Laura. I'm Brodor. So how many takes is it before we get a still Wayne? Usually, so if the first time hasn't been talking for a little bit, I don't do the still wane. Okay. Usually it's only if we've started, we've talked for like a minute or two and then cancel. And then, all right. Yeah. When we do the test, but you don't have the cable plugged in, <laughs> yeah. that's not worth a still. Yeah. <laughs> so fair. it's just kind of a weird quirk of my life right now is my computer is in an upstairs bedroom. And since I live alone, the, all the bedrooms are extra bedrooms except the one I sleep in. So there's two bedrooms upstairs, and one's the recording studio, one's the game room, and then I have the actual master bedroom downstairs, which is where I sleep. But during all of this COVID stuff, I get so tired of feeling cooped up in a little room that I prefer to move my computer down and hook it up to the TV downstairs, because that's a big open room, you know, the kitchen, the dining room, the living room, all the way out to the back door are all it's a straight line shot and so it just feels less i don't know like the walls are closing in less claustrophobic so when we do these recordings i have to move the computer back to the studio mics and invariably i forget to plug at least one thing in and sometimes (laughs) it's self-obvious like a monitor cable sometimes it's not obvious until we screw up a recording like say the audio in cable (laughs) I mean, at least it was just right at the beginning. It's not like we started talking and then... Yeah, well, oh, I no. would hope, even though those monitors behind me, I would hope somebody would notice the flat <laughs> sound wave. We would never go more than just a tiny amount of time without the sound waves on there. Because Dan and I are both too paranoid and anxious <laughs> that I occasionally look over at the screen to see if it's still going. I also and I really, know he does, too. I yeah. also really find the sound waves kind of fascinating. So I legitimately sit here and I sit across from Dan a lot of the times. I sit here and I just I watch them. So what's it's cool fun. is when you when you start editing some, you can look at the sound waves and you can see that's a breath. That's a laugh. Yes. And you can actually tell by the way the wave moves what it is. So you remember that scene in The Matrix where Neo goes and talks to a guy who's watching that iconic thing of the letters and the symbols falling down the screen? And that apparently represents the actual data of The Matrix, but to most people looks like gibberish. But the guy that he's talking to comments, he said, if you look at it long enough, you start to see blonde, brunette, redhead. Mm -hmm. And I've used that phrase to describe audio that's gotten really weird after, I guess, now 14 years on Fear the Boot, 15 years in total of doing this. Yeah. Sometimes I can tell you what is being said before I even play the audio. If it's myself, I can tell you what the word and and so look like. Yeah. <laughs> as well as, like I said, deep breaths, laughs. I recognize the wave patterns of them. And I can tell when it's a and that I don't know what I'm about to say next because it won't be the quick and. It'll be and. And I can tell the difference in the, yeah. the pattern. And it is. <laughs> so I use that line from The Matrix when people watch me edit and they can see that I'm adjusting to audio before it's even played. Mm-hmm. They ask me about that. And I say, look, you stare at this long enough, it's blonde, brunette, redhead. You see everything yeah. that's in there, even though to the average person who hasn't. And I don't claim I'm so brilliant. It's just you can't do anything long enough and not get better at it. 
And it's that sort of thing. If I just stare at this so long that you start to recognize what you're looking at. Yeah. I'm amazed by how well I can do it now with the stuff I'm editing. I can't even imagine what 14, 15 years worth of it would do. Right. So what we're going to talk about today is a subject that we were supposed to talk about last week, <laughs> and we got derailed by a bit of a... Gen cons. <laughs> we're not going there again. Not because I'm, I don't... I'm, I'm have, just saying. Not because I don't have opinions, but because I don't have any new opinions. If I get new opinions or you get new information or whatever, whichever, we will absolutely dive that again. But for <laughs> we now, we're going to give that a break. horse. We've probably already lost our press credentials there. Which I mean, Gen Con? I haven't been told. I have a press pass for Gen Con this year. I haven't been told that I don't get to keep it. So, <laughs> well, it's too late for them to take it yes. away. I do not have a press pass for Gen Con. I'm sorry because it was spendy. It's free. It's, what are you talking about? Free? A press yeah, pass a pr- is free. What do you mean it's spendy? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Who told you that? I was sold? probably pretty high when I was on their website. <laughs> yeah, did you click regular ticket? <laughs> probably. Oh. Probably. I mean, I did buy a regular ticket. I mean, yes. well, I'm pressed. But that was to prove a point. I'm pressed, and I'm going to be there for four days, so I'm going to buy a four-day pass. I mean, it was, was there like high logic? No. Probably. I think what I did is I looked at the trade day page. Why are we talking about something that's embarrassing to me? <laughs> Let's change the Why subject. Why not? Because it's embarrassing to you. Uh, yes. like, so I think what like I did, I think what I did it. is that I was... No, I, was, uh, I can even give you the email address. There's a particular address you write only, to. I think we're only allowed two press passes, though. Per organization. Yeah. But He's his own organization. Press passes are free. You just look in the right spot. Yeah, they are free. You don't be an idiot. <laughs> I say, and if you want to even, so if you want to contact the person directly, yeah. I can give you the individual okay, email I'm address. I'm embarrassed enough. This is enough. We got you. This is enough. We all right, all right, back, all right. We'll lay off. So we'll, <laughs> What we're going to talk about today, other than Brodor's foibles, we are going to talk today about what I think is both the hardest thing to do in a horror game, but is also the key to a successful one. And this is a topic we wanted to talk about because it seems like across the board within the hosting pool of Fear the Boot, you name a game type. That's somebody's jam in here. Somebody can pull it off. Whether you want a romance game, you want a sci-fi game, you want a fantasy game, a low fantasy game, you want rules light, rules heavy, we got you covered, except one spot, which is horror. Nobody in this group seems to be particularly predisposed to being good at running horror games. And we've been kind of kicking around why that is. I've been trying to deconstruct what does it take to make a good horror game? You can talk about certain things like setting the right mood and trying to really get people interested and reducing distractions and so on and so forth. But to me, those are just symptoms. We're not talking about the cause yet. We're just talking about manifestations of a problem, which is people are not invested in the reality. Let's think about a horror movie or probably any good movie you could say this about. Have you ever been watching a movie? You're sitting in the theater, sitting at home. And suddenly the fact that you're in another place, you're not where the movie is occurring, just sort of drops out of your mind. Like you don't notice your home anymore. You don't notice the movie theater anymore. You know, you just are so invested in what's going on that you have no awareness of what's going on around you. And indeed, if somebody creates that awareness by talking loudly or 
eating food. I don't know why popcorn is the food of theaters. It is the <laughs> worst possible choice. But, you know, you found that really annoys you because it's drawing you out of the moment. Mm -hmm. And one of the issues that we seem to have a lot, though we've talked about its symptoms, the heart of it goes down to the fact that with a role-playing game, if we're talking particularly about horror, how do you get people to really be in that mood, to be in that moment when they're just looking at you with your Cheeto fingers, trying to tell them why they should be scared, and they've got a phone sitting there, and you can hear kids running around upstairs, and somebody's belching from their Dr. Pepper. And, you know, and once again, we can make fun of these and talk about these as a distractions, but that's just the reality. Someone is sitting there telling you, you ought to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Now, we can capture other things. Hmm. We can capture mystery because it's fairly easy to create mystery. You know, we can get people tied up in a brain teaser because it's fairly easy to create one and even to create little physical elements to it and say these represent the moving parts in the dungeon. You know, try and figure out what the pattern is. That's relatively easy to do. But why is horror so uniquely hard for us at least i mean maybe some people do this real easily yeah i find when it comes to immersion some of the big disadvantages about a theater are some of the things that really help actually make that experience when you're watching like a horror movie or any movie where you're trying to be immersed if i'm at home i can pause it i can go run the bathroom go get a drink i've got my animals there i've got to deal with them let them out in a theater you can't do that you can't yeah. pause the movie if you run to use the bathroom, you're missing something, mm -hmm. so you don't want to leave. And those are kind of a lot of the downsides I see of theaters, of you can't pause it, there's a lot of people around that are potentially distracting, but they're also what really makes it easier to get immersed in a movie, because everyone around you is getting immersed in the movie, and you're kind of going along with the crowd, well, interacting with theaters them. theaters generally have very neutral colors, yeah. They're dark. They will only have whatever minimal lighting the fire code requires to see the walkways. As little as possible to distract you from yeah. the movie if itself. You're, right. If you're playing with your phone, somebody will come in and kick you out in most theaters. Yep. You know, if you're being really, really loud, once again, somebody can walk out and it's irritating, but somebody can walk out and say something about it and you'll be either talked to or removed. They try to create an immersive environment. All right. So I, as I was dissecting this, I was trying to figure out what is this thing that's missing without simply calling it immersion. I wanted something more specific that would give me a, a better way to explain it. And I came up with what it is. And I thought back to one of C.S. Lewis's nonfiction books, which I personally think are better. I like his fiction, but I think his nonfiction is better than his fiction. But there was a book he wrote called The Problem of Pain, which is about overall trying to reconcile the idea of suffering to the idea of a just or good world or a just or good God or whatever. And I'm not going to chase that chain because that's, once again, out of the scope of the show. But there's a paragraph he gives in that book that I think nails what's missing from a horror game in most cases. So I'm going to read this quote to you. Suppose you were told there was a tiger in the next room. You would know that you were in danger and would probably feel fear. But if you were told there was a ghost in the next room and believed it, you would feel, indeed, what is often called fear, but of a different kind. It would not be based on the knowledge of danger, for no one is primarily afraid of what a ghost may do to him, but of the mere fact that it is a ghost. It is uncanny rather than dangerous. 
and the special kind of fear it excites may be called dread. With the uncanny, one has reached the fringes of the numinous. And I'll come back to explain what numinous means at the end of this. Now, suppose that you were told simply, there is a mighty spirit in the room, and believed it. Your feelings would then be even less the mere fear of danger, but the disturbance would be profound. You would feel wonder and a certain shrinking, a sense of inadequacy to cope with such a visitation, and of prostration before it, an emotion which might be expressed in Shakespeare's words, quote, under it my genius is rebuked, end quote. This feeling may be described as awe, and the object which it excites as the numinous. All right, so what he's talking about there is he's saying that if I told you there was a tiger in the next room, and let's say you totally believed me, you knew that I had to be telling the truth, and in about 15 seconds, I'm going to open the door and let it in. Your fear is probably pretty specific. You're not afraid of the tiger for what it is. You're afraid of the tiger for what it will do. Right, You're afraid it's going to rip you up, it's going to claw you, it's going to maul you. Let's say if by some weird trait of my life that I raise lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and you're used to seeing these animals and you were scared the first time, you've interacted with them a bunch, and now you actually feel pretty confident that they're chill, and I let my pet lion in here, because I'm not going to go to the Joe Exotic route here, but I, I've, I let my lion in here, but you guys have seen it a hundred times before. No, it's not going to maul you. You probably wouldn't feel any particular fear. I mean, you might feel a little bit of nervousness, but your fear was always based around a very, very concrete, what is this thing going to do to me? Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, in a horror role-playing game, you can't feel that because of the fact that you know damn well you're in no danger. You have to feel something else. So then let's talk about the second kind of fear. So he then uses the next analogy or metaphor where he says, what if I had a ghost in the next room? Once again, you believe me. There's a very real spirit in there. It's a ghost. It's a demon. It's an angel. It's whatever you want to believe it is. And I'm going to open this door and it's going to come in here. What are you afraid of? Well, most people might say, well, yeah, I'm afraid of spirits. If I believe in them, I'm afraid of spirits. But what are you afraid of? Most people couldn't tell you what they're going to do. A ghost is going to what? Rearrange my furniture? I mean, <laughs> annoying, but not... Uh, it's going to reach inside you with its cold, cold grip of death and squeeze the life out of your f***ing heart. It is going to come. It's going to grab you by the occipital lobe. It's going to force your mouth towards it, and it is going to suck out your soul. But that's, now that's what it's going to do. But now intense. you're also dead. You can take it on its own. Turn. No, you can't do because now you, maybe you become an even more dangerous. No, ghost. because I mean, you are clearly fettered in your beliefs in the afterlife, and this ghost was not. <laughs> and this ghost killed you, and you went to hell because you were a piece of shit, and you believe in that place, and then you end up getting killed by a fucking ghost, and then tormented by ghosts in haunted houses for the rest of eternity. Brodart, the ghost of the guy that died in that corner has never done that. That, to you. that see that you, ghost is very nice. You think it's that that is funny. But see, <laughs> but, but, I think because, that it's funny. Okay, so what, what if I so, said it wasn't a ghost? What if I said that I actually just triggered why I am would be really bad at running horror games? The low hanging fruit jokes, I can't not make them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have the willpower when something like that comes up and Broder does that. I have to make the joke. Yeah, right. But but his point is, I mean, what if I I said. And once again, you you believed me. I had to tell the truth here that what's in this room is not a ghost. It's an angel. You know, it's not going to come no, in that's here. That's even worse. Cool. 
What? Well, it's going to suck I'm on your soul. I'm still going to hell. <laughs> I'm still getting judged I mean, by somebody. Okay. After some other Are you spirit, Brodor. I'm starting to think maybe the podcast does need to have its first intervention, <laughs> and we're going to take you to a whole bunch of church services until you work this out. I am more than happy to do all sorts of witch for I'm you. Good. It'll no, be fine. Cool. So I, I get it because I, if I don't have any sort of real world reference point for what the ghost is or is not capable of. My fear of it is irrational. Right. However, the tiger, mm-hmm. I understand being mauled and clawed. precisely. I, I, and that's why the, I wouldn't even say it's irrational. It's unfocused. Well, it's senseless. And let me explain what I mean by senseless. The phrase that C.S. Lewis used that he quoted from Shakespeare was under it. My genius is rebuke. And what that phrase means, so for anyone who's not kind of following what this is all about, what this phrase means is if I say to you, there is a lion in the room and I hand you a shotgun, you know very specifically what the problem is, you know what the problem will cause, and you know how to end the problem, right? This all fits within your understanding of reality. If someone is breaking to your house, you might be terrified But the mechanism of what's occurring here is plain, all right? But on the flip side, if you are taking a walk through the dark in your house to go get a cup of water because you've lived here 10 years or something, and all of a sudden you hear breathing next to you, what is going on? And that's the issue, is the genius of you that says, I have control of my situation. I know it's making all these noises. I'm a rational person who either doesn't believe in this or believes in them within a certain context. I've lived here all these years. Nothing's happened. Whatever. That gets expelled. How many people that walk in and see a horror movie actually believe in the object of the horror movie? Now, I have talked to some people that do, especially if you get to, let's call, quote unquote, more realistic scenarios like alien abduction or something. People can relate that through their own life. You know, they start to hear scratching at the window and boom, they picture there's a flying saucer outside and they're here to dissect them or whatever. But I can show you the actor, Robert England. He's not a terribly horrifying man. He's actually a really chill guy. And I've not met a whole lot of people that are specifically afraid that Freddy Krueger himself is going to come and get them. Now, strangely, I actually have met a few. I won't get into that. It's not my place, but I've talked about it before. I knew somebody that really was believed that the Blair Witch Project was a legitimate, real thing, that it wasn't a movie. Even after showing the IMDb page that had the actor as like, this person was on the commercial for Steak and Shake right. talking. She still believed, no, they just hired actors because they couldn't get all yeah. of the footage. And so what you're afraid of is not what you know. It's what you don't know. And that's the difference between a rational fear or a more concrete fear and what C.S. Lewis calls the numinous fear. And where that word comes from is it's sort of a bastardization of a Latin word that means a bowing of the head. So it's talking about a dipping of the head in some form of reverence or religiosity. And to be afraid of the numinous, now it's more common, it's not a terribly common word, but it's more common usage is to describe a fear of the divine or fear of the holy that is created by an awe of its divinity or holiness. But it more technically means, in the broader sense, to be afraid of that which is supernatural or otherworldly. But when we talk about it in the focused sense, 
It's really a fear of the things that you do not fully know. You don't know the boundaries of them. You, know, you don't know exactly what they are. Your imagination runs wild. Tiger walks into the room. I know what's likely to happen. Yeah. Ghost hovers into the room. I have no idea where the script leads. And Wayne and I had our own little fear of the numinous when <laughs> Pat pulled us over the berm. And we're like, is this the start of a horror movie? Has this Wait, man when, finally snapped? Who, what? This is a long story. You look it up. I'll link to the show it was in where Pat took Wayne and I and Brodor out into the back of a golf horse in the middle of the night, out of sight of anyone, Mm -hmm. with a bag, and would not tell us why. We thought he was going to kill us. Or what was in the bag. He refused to give us even one clue, and he insisted on taking us out to a back green on a golf course about a quarter mile down a one-lane, pitch-black, wooded road. Nope. And then from that, (laughs) over the hill, where we were out of sight of even the couple of people that were like, a quarter mile away. And he had no idea because he didn't have anxiety. Yeah. He didn't know what he was doing to us. And so we're filling in. Now, I wouldn't call Pat himself numinous, but what I would say <laughs> is what's happening here is a numinous type fear. Well, does it? We're not it, afraid of what we know. Does it apply to the fiendish as well? As the divine, like how we... How no, we, I mean, we could, yeah. You could, well, then, then Pat was numinous. Yeah, I mean, you could say a satanic fear is also a fear of but the numinous. I saw, I saw cha-chas with zippers, Dan. I don't... I can't explain what I saw, <laughs> but it was numinous. I know that. Well, it was, it was kind of both. Because in our minds, we don't know what's going on. We're trying to figure it out. But we also were treating it like it was something that we could deal with. Right. So, like, you're positioned in a certain way to deal with him, and I noticed that. And I make sure Brodor is between me and him, so he has to interact with Brodor first and give me a chance to move. I was utterly oblivious to what was going on, because I just felt so much trust. I just didn't feel feel any fear. He elicited both kinds of fear in both of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just was like, If you look at the typical horror movie, what they're banking off of... Is, I, I had sauerkraut for dinner. I might shart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very concrete fear, yeah. bro. Right? Yeah. That, there's nothing numinous about that. Mind or pace feel dry. <laughs> uh, I thought I went for the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, my brother's making the low hanging fruit. Um, it's more of a paste. You always bring these deep thoughts to our conversation. But if you look at a fear in, in a horror movie, you know, they really draw you into the scene. You're you're fully bought into it. Let's say this is your first time seeing this. What exactly are the edges and boundaries of, of Pennywise's powers or of Freddy Krueger powers? You don't know. So how do you stop this? Can it be stopped? Where will it appear next? You don't know. So am I, maybe I'm inferring, but is your contention that when I'm game mastering and I'm describing a horror scenario, the thing to do is to gravitate toward the tangible real world things that my players can experience? So for example, I'm describing the spirit coming into the room and I don't know what the spirit is capable of, but I know what a temperature shift feels No, like. let me talk about something a little bit different. Because if I'm gaming and I'm running a horror game, I am saying, and this is an oversimplification, like any, there's two ways, this is probably a false dichotomy, so I'm telling you that right now. But simply speaking, there are two ways I can create fear within you. One is I can intimidate you. I guarantee you, if midway through a game, 
I pulled out a gun, pointed at your head, and said, what do you do? You've got three seconds? You're going to be afraid. I'm probably going to get shot. I'm a psychopath. <laughs> you shouldn't be gaming with me. Yeah. But Or I would call you dad, and I was in the 10th grade, and I was just <laughs> walking home with some friends to okay. get some stuff. For, for you, but this might be but weirdly yeah. banal. Yeah. But for everyone else, this would be a profoundly disreputable behavior. Right. All right, But I could make you feel fear. Yeah, it would be terrifying. All right. So now, the, if the other way to make you feel fear is I have to stir that fear within you. I have to make you afraid of something that otherwise does not merit any fear. All right? So if you are in a movie theater and you're watching a Hollywood movie, and let's say you had been on set when they filmed it, and you saw them put Robert Englund or Skarsgård into their makeup, and you saw how the scene was done, and you saw the wires hanging from the ceiling, and you saw the boom mic that they had to edit out of the scene and all that stuff, the whole thing looks a whole lot less compelling right? because you've had the curtain pulled back. But when you see it as it's presented, it is presented as an internally consistent whole experience that draws you out of where you really are and cultivates that feeling within you. So in a role-playing setting, what my task is as a game master is I have to make you Stop realizing all the other truths around you that if you are still profoundly aware of your cell phone, of the Cheetos on the table, of the dice you just had to roll, whatever it may be, you are keeping yourself grounded in reality, which really keeps any of this from being even capable of being scary. Just like if I was to watch a movie and there's a baby chattering away in the seat next to me, and I'm all the while reading through text messages because I'm having a fight with my girlfriend, how invested am I really in what that movie is trying to portray? You really want to not scare yourself? Watch a movie, like a horror movie, a really good one even, with the lights on and a whole bunch of people that are high making fun of it. (laughs) You will never feel afraid once. You might feel angry, Or maybe you think it's funny. I don't know. But you're never going to feel afraid. Well, thank you for showing me the way I need to watch horror movies from now (laughs) on. I think you hit on a lot of reasons why I think Dread is an incredible horror game. Because you talked about trying to draw people in. Dread gives you an object that is there for you to focus on. Exactly. That Jenga tower is drawing your attention where everything else isn't. That and the story together. Well, the Jenga tower displays fear. Right. That and the story work together. And the Jenga Tower, you can see as things go on, Yes, it helps build that tension. Well, and-, and you're not going for fear in that case. You're going for tension. Because to me, tension is more effective than fear for a horror game but or the, a horror story. But, but what it does also, and it's, it's what you're describing, but let me put it in slightly different words, is there's a displaced fear. So I have the very, very concrete concern that... What if I pull this and I don't do a good pull and the tower collapses and that means we lose the game? Or as someone who has micro tremors to his hands, I don't want to be asked to pull at all. You know, so I've got to be really careful with all my actions to make them so non-controversial that I can talk the GM out of making me pull. Because if I pull, I'm really afraid. And add in the intimidation factor of, okay, now you need to pull two, three. Two, one, yeah. The countdown adds that intimidation factor to it as well. The person that drew before me did a really bad draw, and we're having that cringe moment, that pucker moment 
of watching the tower teeter on the brink of falling. Mm -hmm. And when we bring this back to the game and I go into the game, I am already somewhere between mildly and profoundly nervous. It has nothing to do with the game, but the game master can take advantage of that. The game master can take advantage of a tension that he has already or she has already created that has made me feel nervous and immediately draw that back into the game. I think somebody who did one of the most brilliant dick moves I have ever heard in gaming was Keith Curtis. I don't know if you guys remember the story or not, but he did an alien encounter story. Mm -hmm. And what he had done, and he actually created Numinosphere, not just Displaced Sphere or Tension, as we're calling it. He actually created a full-blown Numinosphere. So there was going to be this encounter where they were going to have their first meetup with an alien. But he wanted them to really not quite understand it, not quite see it all the way. So he's an artist, but a picture wasn't going to do it. He's a good talker, but a description wasn't going to do it. So what this bastard did was he built a full multi-limbed puppet for this alien. He turned out all of the lights and only gave everyone relatively narrow flashlights and was moving this thing around the table and they had to try and understand it, what it was doing and what it wanted. And all they had to see it by was a small number of flashlights that were never good enough to light the whole thing up at once. So they did not know what they were looking at. Wow. And their brain was filling in all kinds of details about this thing that did not conform, you know, this weird multi-armed thing that doesn't conform to anything they're used to seeing. I mean, this wasn't some little Muppet. Right. This was this weird alien thing mm -hmm. that they could only understand in pieces at a time. And its behavior was weird. Its speech was weird. Its movements was weird. Its appearance was weird. And all of a sudden, everybody's out of socket. They don't know. They can't wrap right. their mind around this. He created the numinosphere at the table. Now, that's a lot of work. I'm not suggesting this is a one size fits all solution of go out and call up some marionette or puppet workshop to make you a pro grade or you yourself maybe are this handy where you can make yourself a really pro grade puppet and that's a cool trick that's a tool in the toolbox yeah, that's that's if i had bill gates money that's the kind of gaming that i would do <laughs> well if i had bill gates money or or heather phillips skill i mean i i just can't do this this isn't within my realm of yeah if I've, we're talking bill gates buddy i'm hiring like stagehands that are dressed in all black right. Right, where you can't see and have the lights yeah. out and have them moving around and doing things or and, i'm gonna put you guys i'm gonna rent out a theater and i'm gonna put you guys in well separated there's four of you let's say dark theater seats where you're pretty far separated from each other and you can only speak to me. I'm the one lit person under a spotlight on the stage. And you can only speak to me by kind of buzzing in like UN style with a oh, microphone. Oh, pseudo isolation. <laughs> now that's. Yeah. So we have an auditorium with me as the game master. I've got my screens up so I can do my uh, so I can do my maps and I can do my PowerPoint presentations and yeah. display initiative orders and all of that. And then everyone else is in their own individual cone of silence and i get to determine who is allowed to speak <laughs> with whom at any given time well and i can control tripping. all the power all you the can do this on you could do this on uh even a remote play game of you could say all right no no no, no. i i need you to be in the room i need to smell oh you're certainly better it's certainly yeah, I better need, <laughs> i need to feel you i need to see the disappointment but in your I eyes. I could say something when I like, won't let you talk to Wayne." In that split moment, <laughs> I said, "You hear a noise. 
Somebody's coming up the stairs. There's not supposed to be anybody in this house. In fact, you just swept the basement. You know there's nobody down there. And your the door's about to open. Everyone passed me a note telling me what you do. And whatever note I get passed, that is what everyone has to stick with. They may not change direction. Boop, boop, boop. So now suddenly you're left not only guessing what's going on in my plot. Now you're left struggling with a double blind. What are the other players doing? Am I going to stay and investigate this and they're all going to run and leave me to die? Or am I running and I'm going to look like the coward while they stay and try to fight this thing and I've abandoned them and I'm going to have to explain that later? And suddenly you get that bit of anxiety, that social anxiety. I mean, unless you're like, Chad, just total sociopath. But you get that sort of social anxiety around how is what I'm doing affecting the other people at the table? Yeah. And if you're playing online with Brodor, then it doesn't matter because he's going to disconnect any moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I am not the but, worst of the disconnectors. Right? But I, I could also kill the cameras. You know, I could go in and block everyone's camera for this one scene and say, you know, I want you to hold up a number of fingers that's the amount of time that you're going to leave before you detonate the bomb or something like <laughs> that and create this kind of. So can you then, do you have advice or recommendations for, I mean, what Keith did was really cool, but Kiss, not only did he gamify the game and gamify the encounter and do something that was not mechanically the game, but he changed the atmosphere at the table, right? So, I mean, can we do something different with, you know, lighting or even even something as simple as, look, if it's not related to the game, I don't want it on the table. I think right? it, so I, no, I think no control cups, of environment, no. control of environment is probably the simplest, best place to start with. Try to game an environment that has few distractions to begin with. Now, especially depending on where you're at in life, that may not be possible. It may be you've got kids, they've got to be around, you can't escape this. Or there's somebody else who lives in the house, or you've got roommates, and you just can't control these things. But I would say to the best of your ability, begin with an environment that has few distractions. I'm going to add to that. If you can, do a new environment. So let's say we game Skies of Glass back when we were gaming in person here. We all know what that room looks like. We're all used to that room. If we were doing a horror game, let's go to somebody's house we haven't been to. Hmm. Or there might be more distractions in that case because you're not used to the scenes. But a lot of this seems to be about getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And that room over there that we would play normally in, that's our comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, I could even do something like take you guys downstairs into my basement, which I don't think several of you have even seen, and be like... I didn't realize you had a basement. I do. I do. I have a full basement. And it's big and open. Where do you think he stores all his dead hookers? Yeah. See that? that well, no, I mean, no. but, but I mean, young like, ladies are doing God's work, sir. And that is not appropriate. Why are you looking? <laughs> I said I have a big open basement. Yeah. Wayne's dead hookers. Where do you keep your dead hookers? Well, yeah, we were talking about Dan's dead hookers, yeah. not Wayne's not Wayne dead, dead hookers. hookers. Singular. His live ones he takes good yeah. care of. Well, no, when they're alive, they're escorts. I'm assuming you've watched Archer, so you know how this yeah. works. <laughs> but uh, I have not. Uh, all right, this aside. The point being. <laughs> That, you know, I could do something like go down to the basement where most of you have never been and get four blankets or four sheets and set up a four-walled isolated area down there, put a table in it, you know, put the chairs in it. And yeah, no distractions. Cell phones stay at the door. Anything you like to fiddle with that's in your pockets, it's like an airport, put it in the dish here. You can get it when you leave. When you guys get in there, this whole thing is only lit by one or two candles. Uh, The decision-making mechanic... We're not going to use simple dice because that's too much to fiddle with. It's too familiar. 
were to do something else, like I have a bag of chips that have different symbols on them that represent different things. And when you draw one, only then will I let you see the card that translate what that chip means. Mm -hmm. And that's your determiner of action. It was a great success, a middle success, mixed success, failure, massive failure, whatever. Mm -hmm. Or maybe something else like the ghost gets closer. I don't know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But take you completely out of your zone of familiarity. But even if you can't go to that extreme, you can still tell people, look, we're going to get rid of the things you're fiddling with on the table. This scene gone. The chips and photos, by the time we start the next scene, I want them all gone. Cell phones, out of the way. We're going to put a candle or two on the table. We're going to kill the lights because I want you to be focused. Because what's the only thing you can see at this point is the table and what's around it. I'm not allowing you to have the concrete foundation of what you saw before. You now see a different space and you're not sure what I'm going to do in that space. And so it creates this, what is a more abstract, or I guess we could call it numinous-ish fear. I already have a feeling of dread just thinking about it. Hmm. Just thinking about coming over to a gaming situation, going into a basement and having the closed-in box. Yeah. I already feel dread. And you don't have to be cruel with it. I mean, I know there's at least one or two people that I game with sometimes who have profound fears of spiders. It would not be hard for me to go and borrow a tarantula. But there's a difference between terrorizing someone and giving them an unnamed fear. You know, it's... This isn't Bill Gates' money dream. This is realistic money dream. So when I have a bigger place and I actually have a basement, I want to make my game room, but I want to make my game room in a modular fashion. So my hobby supplies aren't in there. My bookshelves aren't in there. My game room is specifically just where we play. Your dead hookers are in the other room. Yeah, my dead hookers in the other room. So then what I'm going to do, whatever campaign I'm running at the time, I am going to decorate said game room in that motif. So like right now I'm running mm-hmm. a Deadlands Wild West well, game. And at that point you bring your dead hookers in to add to the well, smell yeah. of the yeah. room. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, get you don't want to see them. It yeah, has the, to be the unknown smell. So there's yeah. a there's a whole oh, subreddit a uh, about, about 1800s, late 1800s era butchers and the hooks and chains and things you can get from them. It's pretty amazing. So what I'll do then is I'll just deck the halls with bowels of holly. We'll just have, you know, sort of, oh, no. yeah, where Aurora is creating a real police situation. <laughs> but let me give you a different oh, example. God. Let's say that if in order to get something from this next scene, you have to be brave enough to take it from the monster in the dark. And what that setup is, I'll even tell you what it is. All the lights are off in let's say a fairly sizable room. All the lights are off. It's pitch black in there. And I'll tell you, you have to walk in that room, close the door and be in the dark. You have to find Charlie. And at random, he's got some things kind of attached to him. You've got to find one of those things in the dark, take it off of him without seeing it, bring it back to the table, and then we'll open it up and I'll tell you what it means. Here's what I'm not telling you. Charlie is really in the room, but I have maybe put up a some baby gates or something and he's restricted to only one part of the room. So you can hear him and you keep calling for him but he's not coming. He's just getting more and more wound up and you don't know why. And then as you start walking towards him, I've hung a couple like random chains from a hardware store that you now walk into or put up some weird like patterns and rope or something. And so there's all this tactile, like what the hell is this? In truth, it's nothing dangerous. If I turned on the light, this scene would be as banal as can possibly be. 
but you, know, you, know you are inventing fears because let's face it, I, I can be a bit devious myself. I would go out to uh, PetSmart and buy one of those remote control mice that you can drive around <laughs> for cats. And I would have that you moving in the evil. room, especially the ones if their eyes light up. Yeah, I could do something even weird with the dog. Like I could have like Charlie's in there, but like I put a coat and pants on him. <laughs> and with suddenly when you find my dog, he doesn't feel like my dog. And I just it's like take this moment to point out that I am literally the biggest scaredy cat on the face of the planet. And like this entire conversation is terrifying right now. But I, I don't want to play in your horror. Game. <laughs> well, and that goes to one of the things I was going to eventually get to with advice is I don't want to do it. Yeah. As a GM, I don't want to put that effort into doing it. I can. I know I'm capable, but I don't want to because it's going to put me in a mental space I don't want to go yeah. into. And I don't want to do that to my friends. Wait, I'm 100% on the same page yeah. in that. I, what I was trying to do is because I'm a very, very introspective person and I love to chew on problems. And so the problem was I suck at running horror games and so do most of my friends. And I wanted to figure out why. And as I deconstructed, that's where I kind of settled on. Well, the issue is you don't want to create real fear. So what does that leave? Well, it leaves invented fear. It leaves numinous fear. It leaves these abstract fears. So how do you create those? Who have I played under who has successfully created those? And then I started coming up with things like control the environment, get it dark in there, get rid of the distractions, take away anything that's that's helping you find a foundation of reality, pick things that displace nervousness, make you nervous about something else, and then draw that into the game. The Jenga Tower, perfect example. If people are still too in the moment, then put them in a situation that is completely harmless, but is so weird that they don't know mentally how to interpret it. The room with the chains in it, the puppet, you know, and I'm with you. This is still not my kind of game. And I would love to hear advice from people who feel they run very successful horror games. What are the tricks that you guys have? Get on Discord, get on the forum, get on the blog. And I would love to see your tips and tricks for this. And if we get some really good ones, maybe we'll come back and do a follow-up show on some kind of devious things people have done. Because a lot of people want to run horror games and they want the advice on it. But it just has always bothered me that it's been the big hole as far back as the show goes that we don't have anyone. I mean, yes, we've played with people at the cons who are good at horror games, but none of us are. See, I don't think it's that none of us are good at it. I think that it's that none of us want to do it. I 100% believe that if Wayne wanted to run a horror game, he could run a damn good one and I would be scared shitless. <laughs> I believe that of anybody at this table. They laugh. <laughs> like, I was like, eh, and then the way he laughed, it's like, he just got a little bit chubby. <laughs> I have every confidence that any of the hosts on this show could run a damn good horror show game, rather. I just don't think any of us want to. It's it's I for would. exactly I, the not, point not that it's not our ones. cup of tea. I think I it would be too much to keep up for too long. And I think that's one of the keys to a horror game is it has to be mm-hmm. in doses. Yeah. You know, this is why so many horror movies end in cliffhangers. Because if everything is settled up and has a nice bow on it, you don't walk away with that feeling of fear. You have to have that last shot where mm-hmm. you killed Freddy and all of a sudden, boom, he's back. And that's where you end the movie. And I think it's a cheap shot, but 
I do at least think it speaks to the fact that horror has to be done in doses. Well, Even if there's no cheap cliffhangers, mm-hmm. you know, if I was to run a horror game, it would be a one shot or a two shot. Right. So I think outside of the things you've kind of described about setting and all of that, there is one other aspect to a horror game based on the ones I've been in in like cons and all. Because at con, you don't have those options. Mm-hmm. There are some things you can Online, do. Online, you don't really have those options either. Right. The other aspect of it, I go back to when I was thinking about TV shows. And I'm thinking streaming shows. How many times have you been watching a streaming show and you've gotten so into it, you're waiting for the episode to be over to go use the bathroom because you forget you can pause it. Yeah. Versus a comedy show. I never forget I can pause a comedy show. Right. The difference is the pacing and the tension. There's no downtime. And that's what I've seen with some of these horror games. If they give you downtime to think about the game and remember your situation, then you're going to come out of that feeling. So the really good GMs paint the picture and they keep things going. If there's any sort of question about what you're doing, something else is coming in. And while there are moments of twisting the valve, because we always talk about the, the valve for adding pressure and releasing pressure, that's definitely the case. But in the con games I've played that were good horror games, there's no downtime to stop and think and plan. Mm-hmm. It is always, if everyone is slowing down, they turn some pressure up. If it looks like everyone is becoming overwhelmed, they turn the pressure back so they can turn it even further up later. Right. And that is a skill that I think they've just mastered over running multiple games. Mm-hmm. So you take that skill, add to there's what a, Dan's describing, and then you've got the perfect Yeah, there, there's there's, there's a great movie that comes to mind. At least I enjoyed it. It started off kind of slow and disjointed, and by the time it ends, they brought everything together. And I don't know, I'm trying to think how to even describe it without spoiling this movie. And it just came out recently, so I don't consider it open game for spoilers. But it's a movie called, I think the name is The Horse Girl. It's a Netflix exclusive, or it's something about a horse and a girl. I think it's called The Horse Girl. And I haven't seen it. I'll just give you the barest setup of it, is when the movie starts off, there is this girl who is experiencing these really weird things, but she is also mentally ill. So where, which, which is the cart and which is the horse here? Excuse the pun, given the movie's name. But which, is, is she crazy and therefore seeing weird things? Or are the, the, is she seeing the weird things and her attempt to describe them is making her sound crazy? What is that? And I'll tell you, this movie, it threw a whole bunch of things at me I did not see coming. I can't tell you all the twists because even the slightest twist I told you would spoil this movie. But one of the things I felt they did that kept that tension always on is every time she would start to have a bit of normalcy, she would start freaking out, even if nothing was going on, because either she's crazy or the things she's seen are driving her crazy or however you want to square this. Once again, I won't give you the answer. But it'd be like, oh, she's going, she met a nice guy. He's really cool. He's really uninteresting. They're about to have this really kind of cute, almost childish sort of date because they're both emotionally pretty repressed and whatever and isolated homebodies and whatnot. And they're just having the most adorable date and everything's chill. And then she goes freaking nuts and she starts yelling and screaming and ejects herself from the car and refuses to let him come near her and starts threatening him and i mean just goes completely bananas and it's like 30 seconds 60 seconds straight up her screaming like a banshee at him and it's like wow damn but the movie's well put together and once again i just can't explain to you how without throwing away the big gives of the movie but 
they did such a great job with that. Well, but it's what you're talking about, Wayne, is, is the tension is never down. And when it is, it's like any horror movie. This is why the first people to die in most horror movies are the two people having sex and enjoying the party. They're the first ones to die in every horror movie. Well, they might get lucky and die after the black guy. But what's going to be one of the two? You know, you know it's coming. Popular boy and girl who are there, and they're both hot, and they're both getting it on, and they're enjoying the party and drinking it up. You know they're going to be the first or second to die. That's how it always is. And they won't let you be in that mindset. The minute that mindset starts to get shown, they tear it up. And so it's like you said, it's kind of hard to run because you have to always be on. The moment I stop freaking you out or the moment that that starts to slip, this isn't a story beat anymore. It's not like a normal game where we can have some downtime and role play and talk and explore characters. And that's cool because if I start to let that happen for more than a little bit, more than the tiniest amount, I'm losing the horror. Yeah. And a bathroom break breaks the, the flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. sure. But, but that that responsibility, though, is not just on the game master. I mean, the game master can do their work to to try to maintain. But how deep we go right into this role playing into the atmosphere it, that's got just as much to do with the PCs. You can be mm-hmm. a great game master and busting your ass and doing your things to have the right upbeats and the right downbeats and have perfect control over that pressure. But your players have to, to want more than just a superficial experience right. of fight. I mean, fight monsters take their shit. Everybody's got to be on the same page right out of the gate, knowing this is something that we want to maintain and we have to work together to do so. Yeah, definitely. Because you can have the, the class clown at the table can break everything you're trying to do sure. if they, if they just try to. So I think we've covered a lot of ground here. Like, and like I said, I, I'm really curious to see what some of you people out there where horror is your jam, see what you have to say on the topic. Uh, but for anyone out there, I hope we've at least given you a little bit to think about, or maybe a new paradigm to consider this within. So beyond that, once again, Fear the Count Online is coming up. I'll put a link to that again in the show notes. And other than that, everything's pretty chill here. So have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.